Contented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, the podcast that sees a John McAfee documentary and raises it until it gives in. My name is Mark Hunter, writer, Olympic tobogganist and Phantom of the Opera understudy. And with me, as always, is the man who never takes sweets from strangers wearing BSV t-shirts, Arthur Van Pelt. Arthur, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, Thank you, uh, Mark. Are the summer evenings starting to draw in for you? Yeah, a little, a little. We now have temperatures around uh, 20 instead of uh, 30. So uh, today I went out with my daughter and it was fun. It's funny because I remember around this time last year, I remember the, the the summer night starting to kind of pull in a bit and I was frantically writing series one. So I can't believe it's been a year already. Yeah, a year. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's crack on then. We start, as usual, with Lawsuit Corner, and news on right claims to blow all the crypto exchanges in the world into oblivion for calling BTC Bitcoin. Wright, who previously called this the biggest legal case in human history, is once again using Calvin Ayer's money to force his way towards adoption of BSV by suing a plethora of exchanges and individuals, it now appears, for calling Bitcoin BTC rather than BSV. Arthur, we finally had a filing on this case this month. What did we learn? First and above all, we learned that uh, Ontier, who announced uh, they would represent Craig Wright and had initiated uh, this lawsuit, they were kicked from the case. Or, just a guess, uh, they pulled themselves out. That is not clear yet. And now a new counsel called Harker's Parker Limited will represent Craig Wright. The second interesting thing here is that a huge list of uh, defendants, we now learn that uh, that list has grown to uh, well, a rather substantial uh, list. But what I found quite funny is that Craig Wright calls that uh, this whole group of defendants BTC Core, a partnership of entities and individuals. Well, that is of course uh, incorrect already. I can see that uh, already being attacked by, uh, by the councils who are going against this. Because there is absolutely no explicit uh, partnership uh, between exchanges and Bitcoin developers as a whole group. It appears that Craig Wright is uh, going to try uh, the legal angle of uh, implied partnership between these parties. But uh, yeah, that will in my humble opinion also fail. Because implied partnership is a partnership that is not expressed, but suggested or implicated. And sometimes implied means it's, um, it's apparent from the actions of the parties, but not written or spoken about. And the burden of proof lies with Craig Wright here, and I'm curious already how is he uh, going to approach this. To come back to this huge list of uh, defendants, we see uh, Copa, we see Blockstream, we see Chaincode Labs, we see Block, and that was uh, previously uh, Jack Dorsey's uh, Square, we see several entities of uh, the Coinbase group of companies, and we see no less than 15 current and previous Bitcoin developers on that list. I think it's going to be impossible for Craig Wright to prove any type of yeah, explicit or implied uh, partnership here. But please, let him try. From a legal standpoint, this will be interesting. I feel very sorry for the ongoing stress uh, for the Bitcoin developers, though. Let me uh, be very clear about that. They are involved uh, already in the pineapple hack uh, case, and now they are dragged into Craig's next uh, legal harassment about passing off BTC as Bitcoin and abuse of the Bitcoin trademark. So... Does he state in the filing exactly what resolution he's looking for? 
Now, yeah, he wants um, Bitcoin uh, to be uh, either having the ticker BSV or BSV being recognized as Bitcoin. So the other, that means that the Bitcoin BSV version fork will get the BTC ticker and that Bitcoin will be kicked from those exchanges. That's crazy to me because all these people that bought Bitcoin thinking they knew what they were buying, what they've bought has just been changed overnight. I mean, they're just going to dump it surely immediately. Yeah. I mean, this this is just too crazy to even think about it. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the whole history of Bitcoin, to me, at least in a mix of uh, social consensus and, uh, and technical consensus, how uh, BTC is uh, going forward as Bitcoin and how the majority consensus and uh, the longest chain with uh, the most accumulated uh, hash that is and remains Bitcoin. I have no idea how he is uh, going to try this uh, angle. What evidence is he going to use to to suggest that these guys are in a partnership and what evidence is he going to use to suggest that Bitcoin is BSV? Do you have an inkling of how he's going to try to prove this? Nay, I, to be honest, I have no idea yet. I have to dive into this paperwork when it becomes public uh, to see if it makes uh, any sense. We can think of the things that uh, that he already mentioned uh, out there in uh, in public, for example, on Slack and uh, his uh, Slack room and in uh, blog post articles, even some tweets we can uh, refer to. But uh, yeah, he rewrites uh, the history of uh, Bitcoin for a bit. And uh, for him, the moment that uh, BTC uh, was not Bitcoin anymore uh, boils down to the moment in 2017 when uh, SegWit was uh, introduced and when, uh, according to him, the chain of signatures was broken. But also what I found interesting and what I really would like to see, but of course I have no, no influence in that field, he now has so many defendants. I mean, like, it's a list of more than 20 entities and, and, and developers. Will they join forces and seek one counsel? Or will they each seek one counsel and will a few, probably developers, maybe even uh, entities, uh, just ignore the whole thing? Yeah, we saw that happen also. In the Pineapple Hack uh, case, there were a few developers uh, just ignoring the whole thing. So, yeah, interesting uh, things uh, to look at. Mm, certainly is. Wright said last year that this case has been in the works for at least three years. Last November, he gave Coinbase in particular a chance to negotiate with him for a license to list Bitcoin under BSV, saying, There is a way out for Coinbase. If they negotiate a license, list Bitcoin, BSV, they get to exist. If not, we obliterate them. The following day, he pronounced a death sentence on them, saying, just remember, I am only just beginning. If you think anyone who opposes me and my original protocol survives this, that any company that claims BTC is Bitcoin does not go down in flames, 2022 will be the harvest year. My scythe is sharp. When this goes to court, it will cost them their existence. Let them know they have a choice. Let them know that the window of opportunity is about to close. Let them know the noose is already about their neck. Of course, we're used to this same rhetoric from Kim Jong-un, sorry, Craig Wright, so we can take these threats with a mountain full of salt. However, it's pretty clear that this lawsuit is part of Wright's grand plan to force the crypto space to adopt BSV as the one chain to rule them all, which is hilarious because it can't even rule itself, which he outlined at a CoinGeek conference last month. Given the size and scale of this and the sheer number of people and companies involved, the filing of this lawsuit has acted as the starter pistol to a marathon that will probably see me into retirement. 
Calvin Eyre was, of course, straight out of the traps to reply on the subject of the lawsuit, saying to one excited BSV bunny on Twitter, Yah, just beefing up as there is a lot of crime to expose. You might want to wait for the massive class action lawsuit filed Friday to be reported on. This is a new firm also. This leads us nicely onto what followed just a few days later, with this new lawsuit arriving in fact not on the Friday but the Wednesday prior, not the first prediction Calvin Eyre has got wrong. And it was a doozy, a £9.9 billion class action lawsuit from BSV holders complaining that the delisting of BSV from four exchanges in 2019 had devalued holders' investments. Arthur, take us back to 2019. What was this all about? Oh yeah, that that moment I uh, clearly uh, remember that. Because that was when Craig Wright started a handful of uh, libel cases against uh, Bitcoiners like uh, Hoddlenaut, Peter McCormick and Adam Beck and a few altcoiners, Roger Ver and uh, Vitalik Buterin. And that was uh, March 2019. Never forget it. It's uh, the start of my uh, career as uh, as a Craig Wright uh, critic. Mm. But yeah, several exchanges like uh, Binance and Kraken uh, delisted uh, BSV uh, because of this, uh, yeah, what they call uh, nonsense. So although the BSV camp uh, always claimed that uh, not being listed on uh, bucket shops would not stop the adoption of BSV, it appears that uh, these delisting uh, moves had their effect uh, anyway, Mark. It's well worth looking into this lawsuit and some of the details regarding it. First, who is behind it? The BSV Claims website says that the class representative's budget is being funded in full by Softwale Holdings Limited, a third-party company. This is common where class representatives are not able to fund a claim of this size and public importance on their own. The funder is also providing a direct undertaking to the defendant exchanges in the event of a cost order in their favour. So, what do we know of Softwale Holdings? Not much, as only one document exists online about the company, dated March 2019 and listing all the companies that had been incorporated the prior month in the country in question. That country? Antigua, home of one Calvin Eyre. Laughably, the site also reveals that Softwale Holdings has agreed to voluntarily abide by the Association of Litigation Funders' Code of Conduct in relation to capital adequacy for the duration of the claim, which means it isn't bound by any regulations at all and will behave in the same way as other Calvin Eyre-operated companies have, something that a simple Google search will highlight for you easily enough. So, knowing that Calvin Eyre is behind this, as even a particularly blind mole could have seen coming, how do the numbers break down, assuming this is all about money? The lawsuit is for £9.9 billion, and BSV claims it has 240,000 people signed up for it, which we'll come on to in a second. First though, BSV claims says that each participant will get up to £133 each if the full payout is awarded. That comes to just shy of £32 million, leaving Softwale to pocket around £9.87 billion from the venture, minus legal fees. So let's let that sink in for a little. Regardless of how much you lost as a BSV holder, Calvin Eyre is only going to give you £133 and pocket over £9.8 billion if he wins. This is really for the people, isn't it? Now, it might not quite be as bad as that, as the Competition Appeal Tribunal will make the final decision on what Softwale Holdings receives from the case, and any payment awarded to Softwale Holdings will come only from damages not claimed by class members. Still, the gulf in the amount being demanded and the amount that could be paid out to class members is very telling of the objective of this exercise. 
Talking of the people behind this, the lawsuit is headed by the very first chairman of the UK's competition regulator, the CMA, Baron David Curry of Marlebone. BSV has said that Lord Curry's presence gives it a sense of legitimacy. However, anyone who knows anything about British politics and the peerage system knows that you can buy just about anyone for the right price. Lord Curry probably knows as much about BSV as Craig Wright does about Bitcoin. We said we'd touch on the victim count, and we'll dive into that now. The lawsuit claims to have found 240,000 people, all within the UK, who supposedly lost out financially when the four exchanges delisted BSV. The reason they have come up with this number is because the lawsuit is what's called an opt-out lawsuit. Arthur, what is an opt-out lawsuit? Yeah, I had to look that up, to be fair. But uh, the definition is that uh, in an opt-out uh, regime, the claim is brought on behalf of all those who fall within a divine class of claimants unless they take positive steps to opt out. So there is then uh, no need for the individual class members to be uh, identified or to authorize the claim to be brought on their behalf. And in many cases, there may be uh, class members who are unaware of the proceedings and only become involved at the stage of uh, coming forward to, to claim their share of uh, any damages, uh, if at all. As Arthur said earlier, BSV Claims says that the four exchanges took action to delist the cryptocurrency Bitcoin Satoshi Vision BSV from their platforms in or around April 2019, which constituted an anti-competitive practice in violation of competition law. The actual claim made by AIR and the rest of the BSV ecosystem is that the crypto exchange cabal colluded to delist the BSV altogether, giving investors little chance to sell before the inevitable price crash. CoinGeek reporter Joshua Hensley even went as far as suggesting that some exchanges shorted BSV before delisting it, an action that may or may not be true, but comes with nothing as cumbersome as evidence to back it up. CoinGeek, of course, had something to say on this filing, which, alongside the other delisting court case, managed to distract from Wright's win over Peter McCormack. CoinGeek asked itself whether the BSV investors lawsuit was going to be successful, and, shock horror, answered itself that yes, it was, and for the following reasons. The fact that the very first chairman of the UK's competition regulator thinks there is a case speaks volumes. On top of this, there was likely collusion in the BSV delisting attack as plain for all to see. All of the entities being sued acted within a few days of one another, publicly stating their intentions to delist BSV on social media. That's evidence that can be used against them. Thinks there is a case. Likely collusion. And a few tweets. I really wouldn't want to go to war with that as my ammunition. Interestingly, a report on the website Insurance Journal, posted just a week after this mammoth filing, showed how financiers are helping to fuel a rise in US-style class action lawsuits in the UK courts, lured by the promise of big payouts. This, of course, is the rationale behind the BSV case, which incidentally is just shy of equaling the British record for a class action lawsuit, a lawsuit that is, ironically enough, against MasterCard. Now, Arthur, listen to this and tell me this isn't Calvin Ayer's raison d'etre. Class actions have the potential for big rewards, Charlotte Henshin, a lawyer at RPC, said. Funders like class action type disputes because there's an opportunity for funders to get in at the beginning. It's also an attractive group to represent for sheer reach and volume. Yeah, indeed, uh, Mark. It's fair to say that Calvin Air has not been making a penny since uh, 2015 when he started to uh, pump money in the Fictoshi saga. 
because yeah, look at Enchain, look at Tal, uh, look at uh, Craig's uh, garbage patents, look at Kelvin's investments in the BSV uh, infra and, and, and BSV apps. Nothing is even close to being profitable. For example, we just learned that uh, Tal, the BSV miner, uh, made an operational loss of no less than 27 million dollar uh, this year. I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> can yeah, Canadian Canadian dollars it is, but still, wow. that frustration uh, combined with the class action potentially being very profitable and uh, yeah, that will no doubt have uh, contributed uh, to his decision to uh, ignite uh, this case and uh, sponsor this case. What's also interesting here is another quote from Susan Dunn, the founder of Harbour Litigation Funding, and she says, A reasonable assumption is that a funder will charge 30 to 40% of the proceeds in return for its non-recourse funding, which will be completely lost if the case is not successful. So if BSV wins this and gets the full amount, which is very unlikely in these cases, but still, Calvinir could be walking away with around £4 billion here. Yeah, exactly. Kelvin uh, potentially getting uh, three to four billion out of this uh, class action is, if you ask me, no doubt a uh, great motivation for him uh, to get some money back from this whole uh, Fictocia and BSV uh, show. But then, will it happen? Yeah, I have uh, I have serious doubts, uh, Mark, because let's take a simple example as a, as a car dealer. They are free to, well, let's call it list or delist uh, car brands that they want to uh, support or not want to support anymore. And no car brand will ever consider suing a garage for not having their brand in their portfolio, uh, so to say. Because that's not how the free market works when it comes to private companies. So I'm, I'm really, really doubtful how far they get uh, with this. I mean, they're going to have to show some very strong evidence of collusion. A few tweets, just that's not going to be enough for £10 billion, is it? No, of course not. They have to come up with uh, contracts from uh, from whistleblowers and uh, eh, opening up about what happened uh, behind uh, the screens uh, eh, in that uh, early 2019 era between all those exchanges. They felt emotionally involved in it and uh, financially-wise. It didn't uh, matter for them uh, anyway, because yeah, we just heard a number of 240,000. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a cr- it's a crazy number, let's be honest. Yeah, I don't know where they've got that from. Nah, it, 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 uh, if you ask me, it will be somewhere between 240 and uh, 2,400 that are really, really into uh, BSV and uh, trading with uh, BSV. Just, just a guess, of course, but that's my gut feeling. Yeah. As with the delisting lawsuit, these processes take a long time to play out, but of course we'll keep you updated as this one clogs up the court system. Those who are keeping up with the Craig Wright carousel will know that we recently saw the conclusion of the Wright versus McCormack case. For the full story of this case, which Arthur and I told across two special episodes, please subscribe to our supporter scheme. Details in the show notes. Peter McCormack was asked to pay damages of just £1 after the judge ruled that his tweets defamed Wright's reputation, but also ruled that Wright's case was a complete and utter sham. Considering their man won, Wright's supporters have been suspiciously quiet over the verdict, with Calvin Eyre blaming the lawyers for the victory and others downplaying the comprehensive episode of lying that Craig Wright undertook in order to get the case heard in the first place. CoinGeek wasn't going to let the matter lie, however, and this month published a piece by one Jerry Chan which purported to be analysis over the case and the verdict. Who is Jerry Chan? 
Jerry Chan is a former Chief Product Officer at Tal, who has written extensively for CoinGeek on the subject of NFTs, Bitcoin mining, and BSV, but not once on the McCormack case. In fact, in his two and a half year history writing for CoinGeek, the American has only written one thing that's anything to do with law, an opinion piece on the Kleiman case, so why on earth they thought he was the man to analyse the complexities of a British libel case is beyond me, but anyway. He managed to get on some crappy Twitter spaces chats about the subject, so maybe he knows more than he lets on, I don't know. So, good old Jerry started by referencing the media coverage of the verdict, which was almost exclusively focused on the now legendary £1 award for damages, and Craig Wright's lying, saying that, I think I would be remiss if I didn't address it for the record. Oh. Oh, the record. And you're the record, are you, Jerry? Which record? Right, Jerry's about to lay down some facts and we don't even know which record he's adding them to. To be fair, Jerry did start off well, saying, first for the record, for the record, none of this drama matters in the grand scheme of things in the Bitcoin ecosystem. True, it doesn't. He then stated a desire to work from the source material, the ruling. Okay, now that's a record. Jerry continued, the facts. McCormack was found guilty on all charges of defamation against Craig Wright. Yes, he was. The judge did agree that Wright's side proved to the court that McCormack's defamation caused serious harm. Yes, he did. Furthermore, because the judge felt that some evidence was put forth in an attempt to show serious harm by Craig Wright was not entirely supported, the judge awarded just a nominal award to the plaintiff. Uh, Jerry, I think your record skipped a bit there. Arthur, for the sake of Jerry's record, how accurate is it to say that some evidence was not entirely supported? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's indeed a bit of an understatement uh, to obfuscate what really happened and how the judge ruled about that not entirely supported evidence. Uh -huh. <laughs> judge uh, Chamberlain found that uh, Craig Wright had advanced a deliberately false case, and now I literally quote uh, the guy as to alleged specific instances of serious harm, namely that he had been disinvited from 10 academic conferences due to Peter McCormick tweets and some firm statements in a YouTube video. And having heard Dr. Wright give oral evidence, Judge Chamberlain uh, found Craig Wright, and I quote him again, not to be a witness of truth. <laughs> <laughs> not entirely supported. Uh -huh. And that the deliberately false case on serious harm, and I quote again, advanced by Dr. Wright until days before trial, required more than a mere reduction in the award of damages. So uh, that's why uh, Craig was only being awarded one British pound. And that is an insult for, for um, yeah, such a liberal case. Mm -hmm. Jerry continued that while McCormack could celebrate a financial win, it was Wright who was the real victor, not that you would know it. What the social media trolls won't mention is the fact that even though it may be a personal financial win for Peter, this is a big win for Craig, who is setting out to defend his legacy of creating Bitcoin and his claim as Satoshi Nakamoto, inventor of Bitcoin. Arthur, I think Jerry's record is being written on a wobbly table here. What did Wright's win here have to do with him being Satoshi? Yeah, nothing at all, Mark. Because <laughs> I checked it again, but Judge Chamberlain literally stated in his one-pound ruling <laughs> the identity of Satoshi is not among the issues I have to determine. That's literally what the guy said. Where do they get this from? They just make it up, don't they now? 
they only read the translation of CoinGeek, which is extremely biased and they're even lying a lot of times. And they take that for granted and they think that the truth is only on, uh, on CoinGeek. But I, 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 yeah, of course I do read uh, CoinGeek every now and then uh, to see what, uh, what they are uh, <coughs> mistaken about uh, this time. Oh, don't we all? I think we're the only readers. <laughs> I think we are probably the majority of their <laughs> readers. I don't know. Jerry went on to say that the chance of Wright being able to prove himself to be Satoshi in court was denied him due to McCormack dropping the truth defence on the advice of his lawyers, again citing the crazy amount of evidence line out of context to support this. For the record, Jerry, McCormack said this in response to the crazy amount of evidence that Bitcoin laughingstock Tone Vase said existed over voter fraud in the 2020 US election, which never stood up in court either. Jerry ended his analysis of the verdict by saying that, to quote Calvin Eyre, Craig will won all cases, before saying that if Wright wasn't Satoshi, then how come the court cases he was involved in weren't all being thrown out? We're not going into that one, I don't want to risk missing Christmas. Jerry's parting shot was this. Everyone who challenges him, Craig, ends up getting wrapped up in a lengthy and costly multi-year court process and ends up retracting their defence of I am innocent of calling you a fraud because you're a fraud, which literally translates to, if you read between the lines, you're not a fraud, you are Satoshi, and I just hope I can get away with slandering you with minimal penalty, which seems Peter appeared to achieve. Let's not forget that Wright denied himself the opportunity to lay out his fat stack of Satoshi evidence on two occasions when he dropped libel cases against Adam Back and Vitalik Buterin, as well as a lost opportunity when his case against Roger Ver got thrown out. Let's also not forget that he tried to get the Kleiman case thrown out on multiple occasions before the famous Bombshell Monday, where he was supposed to wow us with Satoshi evidence, and he tried all the way up to the Oslo Supreme Court to get next month's Hoddenlaut case thrown out, perhaps because this one is based on the truth defence, but by this point I think we can take Jerry's record and throw it on the fucking bonfire for all that it's worth. On the subject of the Wright versus McCormack case, we got some news regarding the costs ruling, didn't we, Arthur? Yeah, not uh, not the cost ruling itself uh, yet, of course, but uh, we have uh, some data indications uh, from the court. And the councils of uh, both parties uh, have to deliver their submissions by September uh, the 9th. Well, that's pretty soon already, of course. And uh, their responses have to be uh, delivered to the court by September the 23rd of, uh, of this year. So we can expect, hopefully, that uh, Judge Chamberlain will make cost rulings uh, shortly after that. And my only question here is, will Craig Wright have uh, to pay uh, less than £1 million pound or, uh, to Peter McCormick, or will he have to pay more than £1 million uh, British pound? I, I love the fact those are the two most likely options at this point. <laughs> it makes me very happy. I, I cannot imagine that it will be otherwise, uh, by the way. The, the, this case has been so much of a sham case when he brings in 10 pieces of evidence and every of those 10 conferences that he brought in, they were all shut down. Either they didn't hear about him or they had um, uh, his papers rejected. Brilliant. On a related note, we also got an insight this month into the way that the BSV community will spin even the most damning evidence. Kurt Vuckert Jr. took to Twitter to debate the merits of the evidence used to discredit Wright's claims to be Satoshi, part of which, of course, is his track record of plagiarism. 
Wuckert Jr. then made this astonishing statement. As for things like the plagiarism charge, I also clarified that Craig never publishes anything directly. He has multiple editors and assistants. Therefore, published pieces with bad quotes and copypasta are likely laziness by an incompetent party rather than malice by Craig. Arthur, let's unpack that for a bit. He is suggesting that none of the plagiarisms, the omissions or factual errors that have plagued Craig Wright's writings for the past however many years are his fault. They are all the result of other people messing up, other people he has hired to do that specific job. So we're supposed to believe that these multiple editors and assistants are the ones that write or at the very least edit all his blog posts, his conference papers and potentially all the academic papers on which his multiple degrees rest. Assuming this ludicrous suggestion is remotely true, how extensive would this network of shambling editors and assistants stretch? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> As it as it happens, Mark, I, I just published a long form article uh, again. I think I'm uh, now around uh, three handfuls of them. This one is uh, almost 70 minutes uh, reading time, with a focus on all Craig Wright's fraud that had not been used uh, as such in in courts, and uh, let alone that it was punished in uh, in courts so far. And that article uh, on on Medium is called Craig Wright: The Fraud That Didn't Make It to the Courtrooms Yet. Roughly one-third of that article dives into all the known plagiarisms of uh, Craig Wright, and I only give summaries, remember, which he considers criminal fraud himself, mind you, in an uh, historical order, and that list is pretty, pretty massive, let me tell you. It goes back to uh, to his BDO times in 2004 to 2008, yeah, till his most uh, recent uh, Bitcoin and other papers, and, and everything in between, like his 2008 uh, LLM dissertation and his 2017 uh, PhD uh, thesis, and you cannot imagine what the guy has been plagiarizing uh, in his career. Even the Australian Taxation Office found him uh, plagiarizing in, in 2013. Hmm. It's seriously mind-boggling. And I think this article uh, helped uh, to bring back uh, the plagiarism subject on the table in the online uh, discussion, although I don't think that Kurt Wuckert has read my article yet. Wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, he blocked me, so I, I cannot uh, reach out to him uh, directly. And sometimes I ask uh, my friends, uh, my online friends on Twitter, uh, why don't you uh, send him a link of this article? But when he recognizes my name, then he will probably uh, immediately skip it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yes. But yeah, talking about Kurt, uh, of course, he's trying to obfuscate uh, the facts here at, at all times, especially when it comes to official papers, dissertations, and certainly a PhD uh, thesis. The author is the end responsible for the content. It's, it's his work. But the most savage pun I came uh, across in response uh, to Kurt Wuckert's nonsense is from a Twitter user called uh, Takahori Goshi. He tweeted, tell me if I am understanding this correctly. Kurt's excuse for Craig's plagiarism is that, deep breath, he put his name on something someone else wrote. Think Bitcoin white paper here, Mark, and you will understand uh, the sarcastic uh, undertone of this remark. Oh, yeah, that's just a beautiful idea. Uh, but again, it's another example of the BSV camp tying themselves in knots, bringing up one excuse, like they're trying to fight one fire and they don't realize that by fighting that fire, they're starting another one somewhere else. They just don't have any concept that that's happening. Nay, nay.
Bringing this back to the Peter McCormack case, Verkut Jr.'s suggestion here is that other people wrote and submitted all of the papers to the conference organisers and it was their errors that caused the papers to be rejected. This, of course, is precisely not what Wright argued at the trial. He argued that either the peer reviewers were wrong about their reasons for rejecting the papers, that other N-Chain staff submitted them in error, or that they had never been submitted in the first place. Of course, Vuckert Jr. is trying to shield his paymaster from culpability, but if he's trying to tell us that Wright genuinely entrusted the work to other people, then how on earth would he know that the peer reviewers were wrong? He would have no idea what went into the submissions. There's also the troubling consideration that one of the reasons Wright sued Peter McCormack is because of the damage done to his academic reputation, which Wright said he was trying to build at the time. But Arthur, if you're trying to build up an academic reputation, you don't leave submissions of such importance up to a bunch of people who have persistently proved themselves to be plagiarizers, or at the very least utterly shit at their job, do you? That's not going to do your academic reputation any good whatsoever. Yeah, correct. His claim that this is giving damage to his academic reputation has been proven a massive lie. I mean, if you give out papers to several conferences and they have been peer-reviewed, blind, don't forget, so they even didn't know it came from uh, Craig Wright, and they give scores of uh, 1 out of 5 and they uh, noticed uh, the plagiarisms in those, um, uh, in those papers, then the only one to blame is you. You have been uh, responsible for the whole process of putting your name on an on an paper. There is not an assistant, not an editor, not an whatever, not even a hacker. <laughs> but he doesn't have use the the hacker <laughs> excuse here. But that day, it's it's such a lame excuse. Amazing. I'm worried actually about Kurt Wuckert. Why is he lowering himself to use such a lame excuse? Amazing. Well, when I challenged him on this point um, about these like 10 or 11 conference papers, it was up to like 13 because he, he got rejected from one, sent them three more, and all those were rejected as well. So yeah. on this like 12 or 13 rejected conference papers, and you know what his response was? He said, that ignores the total volume of content that comes out of his office. It's easy to find dozens of problems when there's tens of thousands of data points to wade through. So just to clarify here... With Wright's team of editors and assistants supposedly producing so much work, there's bound to be the odd bit of plagiarism or sloppy editing here or there. It's natural. And if this leads to a lawsuit that threatens to financially cripple someone, that's just where the cookie crumbles. Arthur, I knew these guys were head cases, but they're asking us to just accept that, of course, the odd bit of plagiarism is going to slip through the net when this content mill is churning out so much. And it's not Wright's fault because he's not doing it himself. This is just another level, especially when his main attack, when presented with fraudulent material in court, is to suggest that other people created the forgeries. If you're so worried about the impact of forgeries and plagiarism, wouldn't you take steps to make sure that everything you put out is squeaky clean and doesn't contain a trace of forgery? Yeah, exactly. Again, uh, look at my article. I have uh, numerous examples of uh, plagiarism starting in 2006 all the way up to uh, 2022. And it's on every level of communication that uh, Craig Wright is, is committing plagiarism. And let's not forget his thesis, his PhD thesis. It's a miracle that he uh, got through in this yeah, what was it, the CSU uh, thing where, where he uh, delivered that, uh, that paper? 
I mean, the internet sleuth like uh, like me and, and and a few handful of people who are out there uh, constantly looking for those uh, type of thing, we manage to find that stuff quite easily. It it, it does not take so much effort to uh, to find it. And if you know that he has been accused of this plagiarism at least for 10 years, at least he knows that people are looking at it. And then you should immediately ramp up your yeah, procedures with your assistants, with your editors to bring out spotless uh, work. Didn't happen. Staying in Lawsuit Corner, the next big event in a Craig Wright courtroom calendar is of course the Hoddenlaut versus Wright trial, the Norway one, not the UK one, which will go a long way to fulfilling Wright's wishes of having his Satoshi evidence examined in court. Now this is a case we haven't examined in much detail yet, but Arthur and I are busy working on another two-part special to go over it, with part one discussing the build-up to the trial, which will release before the trial starts in mid-September, and part two coming up after the verdict, whenever that might be. These episodes will be exclusive to our Dr. Bitcoin Patreon and Anchor supporters, so make sure you're all signed up in order to hear those when they drop. However, given that this is the last episode before the trial, which has been three and a half years coming, we're going to do a jerry and say it would be remiss of us not to give a brief overview for the record. Arthur, can you give us a two minute overview of this case, please? Yeah, sure. It's uh, yeah, basically uh, the same story as the McCormick uh, libel case. Hoddlenot uh, tweeted a few times that Craig Wright uh, is a fraud and is falsely claiming uh, to be Satoshi. Craig sued him for these uh, statements. But there are three unique elements to the Hoddlenot case that makes this even more interesting than uh, the McCormick libel case. And this is with all respect uh, to Peter, of course, it, uh, that also had a pretty interesting uh, ending. Uh, but th those three differences. First, back in, in April 2019 uh, somewhere, Craig put a $5,000 bounty on Hoddlenot's head to get him doxxed. This is, of course, uh, if you ask me, a disgusting move and very unethical, uh, to say the least. And not exactly a move that we would expect from uh, someone like uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, if you ask me. And I'm going to do some uh, naming and shaming here, because we do know from public information, and I mean, these people were voluntarily outspoken in public, so I uh, should be able to uh, to mention these uh, things. And they were involved in uh, doxing uh, Hoddlenot, next to uh, Craig Wright uh, offering the bounty, and CoinGeek and Kelvin Air happily uh, endorsing uh, that bounty thing. First, there is a guy called Stein Havard Ludwigsen. He is a uh, prominent uh, figure in the BSV community in, uh, in Norway. And he claimed to know where Hoddlenot his office was. Then uh, there was an uh, anonymous person who called him, or herself, probably him, a dish best served cold. So that's an anonymous person who claimed he received the dog's bounty, but as he was apparently promised uh, 94 BSV uh, for his information, but he only received 26 BSV. And he complained about uh, that in public uh, to Kelvin Air on, uh, on uh, Twitter. But yeah, all in all, eh, we, uh, I tried to nail down a bit uh, who were involved with that uh, doxing. There are more, by the way, or this is just a few uh, examples that I picked. But all in all, I'm, I'm curious to see if this bounty thing will be punished in court or will lead to further court or other actions uh, after the final ruling in the Hollow case. Because normally only official bodies like police and FBI and uh, organizations like that, they sometimes give away bounties for important information that leads to the arrest of uh, certain criminals uh, on the run. 
but private persons that need to be subpoenaed uh, for a lawsuit against another private person that appears not very uh, legally abiding uh, to me. Second, and this is where we get to the strategy of uh, Hoddlenaut, before Craig Wright even had a chance to sue Hoddlenaut in the UK, it was actually Hoddlenaut who sued Craig first from Norway. And it will be extremely interesting to find out how the strategy of running two lawsuits at the same time is going to play out in the long run. Well, and there is also a third thing, and I think that's an important uh, difference also with the McCormick case. And this is for me a little bit of a crux of the whole thing, is that Hoddlenaut, both in the UK and in Norway, is holding on to this so-called truth defense in both countries. And this means that Hoddlenaut is trying to prove that his statements along the line of uh, Craig is a fraud and he is not Satoshi, they are actually and factually true. Yeah, and boy oh boy, are we waiting anxiously uh, with boxes of popcorn uh, ready to consume uh, to find out what uh, those two courts in uh, two different countries are going to rule about that one. <laughs> the long-term effect of a ruling, you are not Satoshi in any of these countries, yeah, will be no less than massive, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as I said, we'll go into much more detail about this case in our bonus episode next month. But with the Wright versus McCormack trial having recently concluded, both camps will be using details gleaned from it to bolster their claims. Wright's camp will be showing how their client won a libel case very similar in nature to the Hoddlenaut one, while Hoddlenaut's camp will be saying yes, but he lied through his teeth the entire time, just like he's lying here, at which point they'll empty a huge box containing all Wright's fraudulent and plagiarised material onto the courtroom floor, give each other a high five, and all head off to the pub. At least I assume that's what is going to happen. I've never been to a Norwegian court, so they might do things differently, I don't know. The fallout from the McCormack case has led to some in the BSV firmament being quizzed over how they would take a ruling against Wright in Norway. After all, Wright has been saying for years now that a court is the only place where the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto can be confirmed. Arthur, what did we learn this month about the BSV mindset regarding this issue? Yeah, well, let's take uh, Kurt Wuckert. Uh, here he is again as an example, because or, uh, Kurt Wuckert is always a uh, very beautiful example from the BSV camp, as he largely uh, parrots uh, the Craig Wright narrative, and by doing so, he helps create the overall uh, BSV camp uh, narrative. So what Kurt actually said recently, a few weeks ago on August the 4th, and let me read you the full uh, conversation so you understand uh, the context, on Twitter again, he was talking to a guy called BTFD. And this guy said, if Craig loses the upcoming Hoddlenaut trial in Norway on the merits of truth, the judge finds he is not Satoshi, will you accept that as the truth? And then Kurt replies, if Norway can prove a negative, I'll be impressed. And then BTFD uh, replies again, but will you accept it? And here is Kurt. Of course not. It's impossible to prove Craig isn't Satoshi unless someone else proves that they are. So yeah, here you have it. They're happy with Craig uh, going to court and pretend to be law-abiding, but when they don't get a ruling in their favor, they either twist the truth, eh, like uh, declaring a climate versus right uh, win for Craig, or they simply deny or uh, reject uh, the unfavorable ruling. So uh, yeah, pretty sick if you think of it. Yeah, it does sum up their mindset though, doesn't it? Where if if they win, the court was correct. If they lose, the court was wrong. Yeah. We've seen that time and time again, haven't we? And this is just going to be another repeat if he, if he loses. 
Yeah, I think so. Calvin Eyre, naturally, chipped in on the subject, claiming that Hoddlenort is a scammer who is being dragged through the courts because he is attacking Craig to further his scams. For clarity, no one in either the UK or Norwegian case has accused Hoddlenort of trying to scam anything out of anyone, and indeed this seems like a perfect example of the extreme and offensive online trolling that Craig Wright said in the wake of the Peter McCormack verdict that he himself had suffered. With Wright's evidence about to be scrutinised for the second time in 10 months, we can expect plenty of blotchy skin, incompetent floundering, hacking claims, and all the rest of the unprovable guff that Wright relies on when he's flapping about in the witness stand like a landed kipper. We also got news this month of a new appeal by Ira Kleiman's counsel over the Kleiman versus Wright case that concluded, theoretically, last December. Having failed with an appeal over the use of the relationship between the Kleiman brothers by Wright's team, Ira's legal team tried a different and also slightly related tack. Arthur, what's the new strategy here? Yeah, as we uh, understood from an uh, August 17, quite recently, an an article written by court reporter Carolina Bolado of the United uh, States-based Law360 uh, legal media outlet, and if you ask me, an extremely trustworthy source, uh, the focus is now also on the discovery process during Climate versus Wright, specifically the list of Bitcoin holdings that Craig Wright had to, to produce. Judge Reinhardt uh, sanctioned that process hard with a case-ending ruling against Craig Wright, but that was overruled by Judge Bloom, who was not convinced of the partnership uh, between Craig Wright and Dave Kleiman. And yeah, I have to be honest here, (laughs) she is right. There was never a partnership between Craig and Dave when it comes to Bitcoin. It was all made up uh, by Craig to further his Australian tax fraud in the 2013 and 2015 uh, era. I will not read uh, the whole uh, Carolina uh, article for you, but uh, this part explains it rather well. The estate of computer forensics expert David Kleiman asked the 11th Circuit for a new trial against self-professed Bitcoin inventor Craig Wright, arguing Wednesday that the trial court should not have overturned hefty sanctions imposed on the defendant for disobeying discovery orders. In his opening brief, Kleiman's brother Ira Kleiman said the district court not only failed to sanction Wright, but also improperly allowed him to bring up the brother's relationship and instructed the jury on an outdated version of Florida's partnership law. So actually that are three different things. The estate said that the United States District Judge Beth Bloom should never have vacated the sanctions imposed by U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt for Wright's failure to comply with discovery obligations, specifically a request to produce a list of public addresses or unique identifiers of his Bitcoin holdings. Judge Bloom agreed with the magistrate judge factual findings that Wright had perjured himself, submitted forged documents to the court, and willfully flouted discovery orders, but she vacated the sanctions order that would have required Wright to give up half of his Bitcoin trove, presumably worth billions of dollars, and half his Bitcoin-related intellectual property, according to the brief. We'll end Lawsuit Corner with some news on the Pineapple Hack case, which Craig Wright lost back in February. The judge in the case, Mrs Justice Falk, ruled that Wright's case against a plethora of developers with regard to his stolen coins was as watertight as a paper submarine and threw the case out, refusing him the right to appeal automatically, but allowing him to file leave to appeal. 
This leave to appeal was indeed filed and was awarded this month, with Lady Justice Andrews saying that the nature and scope of the duties that developers have over blockchains is one of considerable importance and is rightly characterised as a matter of some complexity and difficulty. Crucially, Justice Andrews added that the judge fell into error in deciding that there was not even a serious case to be tried and in the approach she adopted which means that the case will now go before the appeals court to see if the judgment was too harsh. Should the appeal be successful, then the case will very likely go to court, which would at least have the added bonus of seeing Wright's evidence of the pineapple hack analysed in court for the first time. Wright's law firm Ontier, who Calvin Eyre has savaged since the McCormack win, revelled in the news, stating that the complex and fact-heavy considerations that characterise developers' duties to those who have lost access to their Bitcoin deserve to be explored and determined at full trial and not to be dismissed through a jurisdiction challenge. Two important things here. Firstly, if that's a Calvin Air authored tweet, then I'm an Atlantic fisherman. And secondly, even though the case was indeed fought on a jurisdictional basis, Wright won the issue of jurisdiction, but the case was tossed because its very premise was meritless. Arthur, didn't Craig Wright try and get the Kleiman case dismissed over jurisdiction as well? He's trying that many times uh, first to get the case kicked out before uh, the merits are being discussed, uh, the contents of the case. Craig Wright lost that in Kleiman because his conflicting statements and forgeries backdated forgeries to support this point uh, did not impress uh, anyone. Now, we don't have a date for the appeal hearing yet, but of course we'll keep you up to date with all the doings around this one. BSV supporters got all giddy at the start of this month when BSV got listed on LA Token. What do you mean you've never heard of it? CoinGeek celebrated the listing with a piece that claimed the move was yet more momentum for BSV, which has been gaining traction steadily for the past several years. Of course, BSV has in fact been delisted from more exchanges that it's been listed on and has been tanking in price for the past several years, but anyway. CoinGeek indeed noted that LA Token entered the top 20 digital currency exchanges in 2019 and has been rapidly growing since. It hasn't, it's now 57th, and is apparently known to be selective about the tokens it lists. Having listed confirmed scams such as Counting House in the past, this is patently not true either. Arthur, is BSV setting the world alight on LA token? No. It, uh, it captured 0.28% uh, of the total volume of uh, BSV traded on uh, all exchanges. No, it's almost nothing. The 24-hour volume on uh, LA token of uh, BSV is uh, $89,000. And it's the 228th most traded token on the exchange. So, hallelujah. 228th. That's terrible. I bet there's some utter dross that's being traded more than BSV on that exchange. Yeah, yeah. And what does this listing, and more importantly, the, the fact it's done absolutely nothing since being listed, what does that say about the argument that it's the exchanges holding BSV back? Now, yeah, looking at these uh, impressive numbers, uh, <laughs> I know exchanges where tokens get delisted <laughs> when they hardly bring in some trading fees in these volume ranges. If I make a quick calculation of, uh, let's say, 0.25% uh, trading fee on uh, on $89,000, yeah, then they make uh, between $200 and $250 per day. 
One notable appearance by Wright this month came on The Project, a news and panel discussion show in Australia that saw Wright's claim to be Satoshi questioned by reporter Hamish MacDonald, instantly undermining his statement in 2016 that he would never sit in front of a TV camera ever again, and it is best to argue that he should be allowed to show the Satoshi proof he wanted, not the Satoshi proof everyone else is asking for. Another individual interviewed for the piece was Dr. Eric Lim, Senior Lecturer at the School of Information Systems and Technology Management at the University of New South Wales, Craig Wright's home state in Australia, and founder of the university's crypto clinic. Now, Dr. Lim only has three degrees compared to Wright's 27, making him nine times less impressive and intelligent than Wright, but the crucial difference between the two is that Dr. Lim is a hugely respected individual in his field, with over 25 journal articles published going back to 2004, and over 75 conference papers accepted. Dr. Lim explained how anyone questioning Wright has been threatened with lawsuits before adding something that most sane people and outside observers have known for some time. The way for Wright to prove he is Satoshi is to move some of the early Bitcoin, saying, you can take your picture in front of a Lamborghini, it doesn't make it yours. Wright had a very odd argument to this. You don't prove to the doubters, they don't care. You don't go out there and um, try and convince a Marxist that capitalism works. I mean, proof has nothing to do with whether a bunch of idiots believe something. Wright then trotted out his pet excuse for not signing. Does it upset you that people ask this, that people want to see the proof? But that's not proof. So what is proof? I have people that knew me. I mean, everyone seems to think I'm... I'm um, secret. I mean, I had family, I had friends. Um, I've got people who are uh, high up in industry. But how does the fact that these people know you or knew you then prove anything? That's what proof is. Proof is always people. This refers to a suggestion Wright made when testifying in the Peter McCormack trial that courtroom testimony from friends and family is more legitimate than documentary evidence, which doesn't say much about the BDO minutes with coffee stains and rusty staples that are already the stuff of Craig Wright folklore, not to mention the famous Tulip Trust documents. In fact, given all this, it's pretty obvious why he's trying to shy away from documented evidence. There then followed an extraordinary exchange between Wright and MacDonald, which was reminiscent of Wright's behaviour when questioned by a cryptography expert, Nicholas Courtois, in 2016. But isn't proof a record or a document? Something that shows... At this point, Craig's publicist seems to be getting a little uneasy. We, weren't gonna, we agree we weren't going to keep going on on proof, so can we have a move on? Or we can just stop here. OK. Um, I mean... I'm really following where you're taking the conversation, but... Well, it's where you're taking it, but read evidence law. What do you... Pick up a law book and look what proof is and do a course, and when you come back and you actually know what the f*** you're talking about, we can have a discussion. Why get irritated? Otherwise, you're just being a wanker. Why get irritated and, and start swearing? I'm Australian, and if you're going to be a wanker, I'll call you a wanker. Wright then claimed, laughably, that it makes his life harder to be known as Bitcoin's creator, to which the obvious response is, then don't. Of course, Arthur, it's not as simple as that, is it? 
No, of course it's not. The moment that his uh, Satoshi claim failed in front of the ATO uh, around uh, 2015, but Calvin Air and his camp uh, were bamboozled and uh, defrauded. Uh, you might remember the one fix uh, paper wallet forgery that he created in uh, June 2015 into uh, Craig's convoluted uh, Satoshi story and don't seem to pull uh, the plug on him yet. Uh, Craig must uh, feel encouraged enough to keep the Factoshi train uh, going. Remember, Craig's whole financial life depends on it. Calvin admitted three years ago already that he had already put $100 million in Craig and his brainchild BSV, and that amount can be doubled or tripled by now, I think. Craig depends on his fake Toshi story. He has to keep the saga alive, otherwise Calvin Air uh, might uh, pull the plug on him. Towards the end of the piece, Wright then said about the only honest thing in the interview. Do you know how much you're worth? Um, I'm not worth anything. I I'm just a beneficiary to a trust. That sounds like the answer you might give the tax man. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> Arthur, this tax man line is very telling, isn't it? Yeah, it's where it all started, isn't it? It, it was a tax fraud where he started to use random Bitcoin rich list uh, addresses that he claimed to control in 2013. And then he ramped up the story with a uh, Satoshi cosplay in uh, early 2014. And then a uh, Tulip Trust, which is what Craig is referring to here, uh, set up and uh, inserted this Tulip Trust in his tax scheme in October 2014 only to avoid uh, paying um, 1.6 million uh, Australian dollars in goods and services tax that uh, ATO told him to pay on his uh, Bitcoin dealings earlier in 2014. The other members of the panel were suitably sceptical, with one saying that it was interesting that Wright was going out of his way to say that he doesn't care about being Bitcoin's creator, while another laughed off Wright's claim to have created Bitcoin, but that he gets offended when people want proof of it. What's perhaps most interesting about this interview is that it appears, from my research at least, to be the first mainstream interview Craig Wright has done since 2019, and it's the first time he's been really pressed on his Satoshi claims since 2016. Arthur, in all this time that's passed, this is no different to 2016, is it? It's the same level of questioning and the same result. Yeah, exactly. It's always the same, Mark. Each and every time. The moment the interviewer, in court or outside court, senses a discrepancy or forgery and questions Craig about it, Craig always tends to get very irritated knowing that he is busted and has to rely on his instant flexibility to cover it up, and he's not really good at that. The only difference here is that his publicist stepped in before he could walk out. We end this week on a wonderful piece of nonsense from Craig Wright that he posted on August 12th and that goes to the heart of both Craig Wright's sense of logic and that of those following him. Here's what he posted. If Satoshi thought I was trying to steal his BTC, he would move them. Rather simple. The reality is simple. I am not afraid that I will steal from myself. I am Satoshi. And if dead, others would know. Arthur... Craig is very keen to let us know just how logical and intelligent he is, so let's look at this bit by bit. I'll tackle the first bit, and then you can let me know if I've missed anything, okay? Mm-hmm, okay. So, if Satoshi thought I was trying to steal his BTC, he would move them. Satoshi Nakamoto left the Bitcoin scene in December 2010 and has never knowingly surfaced since. He has never touched the million or so Bitcoin he mined, and nobody knows why. 
He might have lost the keys, he might have done a Craig Wright and wiped his hard drive after being hacked, or maybe he knows that by moving them he could crash the price. Or, and here's a thought, maybe this was never about monetary value in the first place. Maybe it was a fun experiment for him, and like he said at the time, he's moved on to other things and just doesn't give a shit about Bitcoin anymore. This may be hard for someone like Craig Wright to understand, but maybe Satoshi didn't value money as highly as others, and he's happy to let it go. There are a number of plausible reasons as to why those coins haven't moved, but Craig Wright has chosen not to move them is not among them, primarily because he's admitted he no longer has access to the fraudulent Tulip Trust that's supposed to hold them anyway. Also, as for the suggestion that if Satoshi knew I was after the coins he'd move them, how the hell does he know? How does Craig Wright know what Satoshi Nakamoto would or wouldn't do with his coins, whether he claims to be him or not? In this world where he isn't Satoshi, he will still never have met the guy, and yet he's professing to know what he'd do with his money. And let's not forget that when Dr Courtois asked Wright about his plans for the Satoshi Hall in 2016 under the claim he was Satoshi, this was his response. Because I go to fucking Branson and I go, where the fuck are you spending your money? None of your goddamn fucking business. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, the other interviews are easy. This is just bullshit. Where am I going? My fucking money. If I'm not going to spend it, it's my fucking choice. So Craig Wright is fine to talk about other people's plans for their money because he knows exactly what they are. But when you talk about his, that's crossing a line. Anyway, that's that bit done. Arthur, your turn. If Satoshi was dead, someone would know. Would they? No, yeah, not necessarily, of course. Satoshi Nakamoto appears as a master in OPSEC uh, to me. And if, and I repeat, if he had died after he left uh, the Bitcoin project uh, to others like uh, Gavin Anderson in uh, April 2011, then it is very well possible that no one ever knew he was the inventor. So I consider it uh, also very well possible that Satoshi Nakamoto left a will uh, registered at a notary, who will always respect wills uh, of deceased people as long as they uh, legally can, in which it is uh, requested uh, to the notary to keep his Bitcoin project uh, secret, only to be revealed on a date uh, far away in the future. Yeah, something like that. So it, it, it's not, not necessarily what, uh, what Craig is claiming here is, uh, is true. There was an amusing moment in Craig Wright's Slack forum this month when CoinGeek contributor Joshua Hensley got a verbal slapdown over a video that questioned Wright's version of events in relation to a famous incident in May 2020 when 145 Bitcoin addresses were signed with the following message. Craig Stephen Wright is a liar and a fraud. He doesn't have the keys used to sign this message. The Lightning Network is a significant achievement. However, we need to continue work on improving on-chain capacity. Unfortunately, the solution is not to just change a constant in the code or to allow powerful participants to force out others. We are all Satoshi. Arthur, can you please just remind us of the importance of this message signing as it relates to the Craig Wright story? Yeah, this is an, uh, a massively important uh, moment. This uh, signing was related to the so-called Tulip Trust list. And it was supposed to be the, the list that uh, contains the public addresses that Craig Wright mined in 2009 and 2010. That Craig uh, handed over to Ira Kleiman's counsel in the Kleiman case in January 2020. And that was the, the Bob that Courier story, uh, you might remember that. But by accident, that list became public in May 2020, eh, several months later. The list was supposed to be kept under seal in the court docket, but during the filing process, a mistake was made 
by either the councils or the court clerk. We cannot uh, really uh, check what happened there. Within days, these signings uh, done by the true owners of these addresses happened on uh, 145 of uh, the 16,404 public Bitcoin addresses on that list. And these signings have been publicly verified. So that was a massive blamage for Craig Wright. So back to Hensley's piece. We actually covered the sentiment behind it in a previous episode when Hensley posted about the same thing on CoinGeek. However, Hensley's bizarre suggestion that it could have been Craig Wright himself who signed the 145 messages didn't go down well with the mighty one. At Joshua, this is formal notice. If you leave that video on YouTube, you can defend your false claims in court too. If you want me to add valid, real questions, I am more than will to respond. But if that video remains, and if you put out unchecked lies again, you can join the list of people I have sued. This goes for anyone here. Hensley's reaction was immediate. He took down the video in question and put up a new one where he issued a mere culpa to his paymaster and revealed that it wasn't actually this theory that upset Wright, but it was instead something to do with how the list of addresses made it into evidence in the Kleiman trial. There were some statements in there that Craig considered defamatory and, you know, looking at it on the whole, it probably was, right? Um, No, it was not related to the actual signing of the addresses. Um, that because that was just a theory on my part. Um, it was related to the um, how I communicated the filing of the address. It was a nuance that I didn't that I was not clear on about. There's a difference between them being part of discovery that he had to give up and him making this list and sending it to the court as evidence. There's a distinction there. Arthur, how did those addresses get into evidence? Did Wright have anything to do with them? Well, yeah, of course, in, in the background, uh, he was the source of that list. He even signed a um, statement of truth uh, or something that he uh, that he stood for that list. He claimed that he got that list from his wife, who received it from the infamous bonded courier, but it turned out to be a guy called uh, Danis Mayaka, which was a lawyer, I think, from Kenya. He handed uh, over uh, this list uh, to Irish Council and uh, he brought it into evidence, uh, so to say. But the list, again, became public in the Climate Court docket. Uh, that was a, m- a mistake by yeah, one of the councils who did not properly uh, seal it, stamp it, or uh, made it known that it should have been uh, sealed. Uh, or the court clerk uh, ignored uh, those uh, orders. The, the, to me, it's not perfectly clear how that exactly happened. But on the other hand, we are quite happy that uh, someone in the process made a mistake uh, and we can enjoy these 145 uh, signings. Wright also took umbrage, apparently, at something else Hensley said. That's that. And then I also made a statement about how there's a spectrum of people... Um, Either most people think he's a liar or fraud or the other very few people think he's Satoshi and he created Bitcoin. Right. And then I pointed out how there's folks in the middle who are more lukewarm about it. And I made a statement there that he took offense with and justifiably so, I think, looking back. Arthur, this is a very odd thing to get upset about. I reckon there are quite a few people who are on the fence about Craig Wright, perhaps more than those that have actually picked a side. Why did this upset him so much, do you think? He's looking for getting the, the, the tone and the touch right in, in those uh, statements. 
But uh, on the other hand, we can't look back uh, at the original uh, video anymore, uh, I'm afraid, because it has been taken down. But it is hard to grasp what is exactly defamatory about mentioning the simple facts that there is indeed a large group that doesn't believe Craig Wright for good reasons. And there's a little group who does believe Craig Wright. And there's, of course, also a group uh, that either ignore uh, or don't care about uh, the Craig Wright saga, or they follow it from the sidelines uh, with interest uh, from a more neutral standpoint. So yeah, Joshua, <laughs> please stay critical, quote-unquote, and uh, then bend the knee uh, every time uh, your cult leader <laughs> tells you good riddance, uh, my man. <laughs> Hensley also revealed how it feels to be on the end of a Craig Wright lawsuit threat. The last thing here um, with that whole situation of being threatened to sue, um, <laughs> uh, that's not something anyone wants to deal with, man. Um, I'm not going to be able to tolerate something like that. And, you know, for these guys that, are act that have actually engaged in this, they're going to pound town, man. Regardless of the outcome, that's pound town because... That that amount of money and, you know, actually going through that process, hiring these lawyers who gouge folks. I mean, yeah, they can have it, man. They got it. At a certain point, you know, you start rubbing against fundamental things here. And, you know, if those guys really want to stand by it, you know, all right, man, you can go. McCormick already went to pound town and this other guy's about to. Uh, given that he's peddling for funds, I thought he was a hot. I thought his name's hot or not. And he's hodling. Right. Where's all his coins at? Why is he having to raise funds from people? Probably because he's broke and can't pay the bills. So if that's the case, oh, he's getting wrecked. And, um, you know, you want to double down on that? I could have done that, too. Right. I don't know that I could have defended those statements. Um, not that I wanted to, because, I, you know, it's just one of those things where I think I made poor word, word choice and I didn't really communicate what I was trying to. Arthur, this is brilliant. Hensley is doing his best to laugh off the threat of a lawsuit, but he's clearly terrified, which is obviously why he took it down, saying that there's no way he could afford to fight it. And yet, in the very next sentence, he proceeds to mock Hodlinaut for needing to raise over £2 million to fight his libel case, suggesting that he should be rich for some reason. Yeah. It's a bit sad, isn't it, uh, really? On one hand, he is uh, chicken shit uh, scared of uh, being sued. And even when he is just uh, mentioning uh, or uh, opinionating on uh, simple facts. On the other hand, he uh, cannot believe that Holnot is in the exact same situation, but deserves a lot of respect instead of mockery. Opinionating on top of facts, but instead of ducking and hiding, Holnot is fighting for his freedom of speech and uh, his freedom of opinion till the bloody end including uh, the truth defense in uh, both the UK and, uh, and in Norway. And I mentioned it before, but allow me to repeat it again. You have no idea how expensive that is. We heard from Hollenot uh, that his legal bills have exceeded uh, $2.5 million at this uh, moment. And to be fair, I have no idea where he finds uh, this money or if he is being sponsored uh, for those two lawsuits he is running. But the good news uh, is that after a little crowdfunding early 2019, there's now a second crowdfunding uh, going on and it is already way over $1 million. Happy and, and great to see that. Yes, we're donating all of our first round of supporter subscriptions up until the day of the start of the Norway trial on September 12th. So if you've been on the fence yourself about becoming a Dr. Bitcoin supporter, then now's the time. Great. Yeah, great move, uh, Mark. 
So uh, please go to the website defendingbtc.com and uh, donate something for the good cause if you are not becoming an, uh, a member of the Dr. Bitcoin uh, podcast. There is also where you can uh, uh, do your thing. Now, back to this point on the cost of the lawsuits, let's not forget too that the narrative among the BSV crew regarding Peter McCormack dropping the truth defence is because the evidence Wright put forward to be Satoshi was too strong for Peter to refute it. Peter, of course, said it was down to costs and that if he could afford it, he absolutely would have proceeded with the truth defence. However, here's Hensley straight up admitting he himself couldn't afford a truth defence either. This goes hand in hand with the likes of CoinGeek, saying that people are always running away from right at the first sign of a legal battle, and yet here's Hensley proving exactly why they do. He actually admits how expensive it is to fight litigious people with deep pockets and how rigged the system is. Arthur, how do they not see the hypocrisy here? Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? Somehow these people have a missing connection between several brain cells or something. I have no idea. What was equally as interesting here was the response from the BSV community about this. The normally dead BSV Reddit page was festooned with accusations calling Wright a wanker also, nice touch, with another adding that the fact that it triggered CSW so intensely is a bit suspicious. They're getting there. Bit by bit, they're slowly getting there. Others said they didn't think that Hensley did anything wrong, with another adding that it was insanely outrageously stupid for CSW to attack a major supporter of BSV like this, as if he was the enemy. Arthur, do you see this as more weariness over Wright's antics, or just a one-off? You know, Craig regularly has these uh, stunts within his community and outside his community. Uh, I heard sometimes people get kicked from his uh, private Slack room when they say things that Craig doesn't like. And when it's outside his community, he always threatens to sue or otherwise uh, harass. So it's probably not a one-off, uh, if you ask me. Craig has this urge to control everything, which is another uh, narcissistic uh, personality disorder trait, if you ask me. And I'm sure that we will see more of these uh, examples uh, in the future. That just about wraps us up for August's update. Don't forget, we'll have the first of our two Hoddlenaut trial specials coming ahead of the first day of the trial on September 12th. Arthur, I think I know the answer, but what are you anticipating to happen during this trial? Is there any new evidence we know about that wasn't at the Kleiman trial? Well, I'm afraid there's hardly any public information about this case, except for what Hoddlenaut himself uh, is telling about the case. And, let's be honest, it's pretty pretty scarce, uh, uh, probably advised by his counsel, of course. And even CoinGeek uh, hardly pays attention uh, to this case until uh, recently. I read somewhere, probably because Holdnot uh, talked about it, uh, that a 350-page forensic report has been filed by Holdnot as an exhibit. So, of course, I am uh, very curious what is in in that report and how it will be discussed uh, during the trial. Will we see uh, new forgeries or will we see old and uh, reused uh, forgeries from, uh, let's say, uh, ATO times or climate times? No idea, but we're going to see it. Of course, we all wish Holden not the best of luck and hope that he can stick it to Craig, Calvin and the rest of the Death Eaters and gain a victory for freedom of speech. Don't forget, we also have my interview with Rory Kethlin Jones regarding his time with Craig Wright during the 2016 signing sessions coming up as well for Dr. Bitcoin supporters. So if you haven't thought about signing up yet, now might be the time to do it. 
Arthur, thank you once again for your time and your expertise this month. You're welcome, Mark. Happy to provide it. And I'll see you again next month. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. If you enjoyed what you heard, we'd really appreciate a rating or even a quick review on your platform of choice in order to get this out to as many people as possible. For early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content, please consider becoming a supporter through Patreon or Anchor. See the details in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen platform in order to get new episodes the moment they drop. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter for podcast announcements and other nonsense, you'll find us at DrBitcoinPod. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Written by Mark Hunter, with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt. Editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production. Music